you get the genre inversion aspect to the uh, to the writing um, and the way that she approaches genre, um, and also you get her uh, incredibly uh, sharp and uh, searing visual sense. Uh, her writers, uh, Matt Hay and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matt Manfredi and Phil Hay, um, one of whom is her husband, um, uh, they uh, they kind of give her this great springboard for um, her to kind of do these uh, genre athletics, where she gets to work out what a film in any given thing, whether it's you know in the in the case of Anne Flux, that kind of uh, sci-fi. Uh, invitation is a little bit horror. Jennifer's body, same thing, and then uh, and then Destroyer is a cop movie, and you know just kind of take everything that you know and and just work those muscles out as much as possible until they don't really look or feel like anybody else's version of them. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode and another month of a podcast directed by. So this month, we uh, we let Mike choose uh, this month. So, Mike, uh, who are we covering this month? Karen Kusama is who we're covering this month. And there are a lot of gaps, unlike uh, last mm-hmm. month where we had, I guess, the option to skip movies because <laughs> Spike is a worker. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, and that's part of the reason because I'd only seen one of her films. So I'm not even coming to this as like a passionate fan, but I read an interview with her about, um, you know, that, that sort of problem area where as a, a woman director having one misfire uh, puts you in Hollywood jail, I guess, for mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, I just really sort of respected her viewpoints and her thoughts, not on the film we're going to be talking about with this initial episode, but the one that was considered the misfire that put her in jail. Uh, and it was sort of, um, you know, sort of talking around uh, all of the, the issues that she had. And I thought that would be fun to watch. So I don't know. I'm coming at it from the perspective of already knowing of her struggles and knowing that what I'm about to watch in some cases is not what she wanted to put out there to the world. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit different than starting with, you know, Scorsese, Spike Lee, whatever other junk you want to throw out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to go with a true struggling artist, Dave. Yeah, it's interesting. So we have, of course, uh, like everyone, so we have an expert uh, on our show. You probably heard his voice one time already. It's a Scout Tafoya, who is a filmmaker and a critic uh, who works at EbertVoices.com. Um, so lots of lots of good stuff for you to find there. He also has his own uh, Patreon site where he does film edits. So be sure to check that out. We'll put that in the in the show notes. Um, and one of the things we talked about that I found really interesting is. You know, I always ask this question of them, like if somehow you met someone who had never seen a film by this great director, what would you tell them to expect? But like in this case, like that might actually happen. Like you could definitely meet someone who's never seen a Karen Kusama movie uh, because of what you talked about. And I think it's going to be really interesting when we get to our second our second episode, which you're kind of referencing about Eon Flux, about how like she maybe didn't have uh, all the control about what was being put out. So to like saddle her with the title of like, well, you had a misfire is like. It's interesting because in terms of what we're talking about in the show, like we do that a little bit, right? We're like, well, it's the director, right? That's the person mm-hmm. who gets all the credit and gets all the blame. But of course, there's so many pieces involved. And especially when you have a female director, uh, our studio system does not exactly trust female directors and give them 
second chances. You know, like male directors, you like, man, you got to really screw up. Like you got to make like Book of Henry to get. And even after that, that guy, uh, didn't he end up doing like a Jurassic World movie and made a billion dollars? Like you get your, you know, (laughs) I'll, I'll say this. The only time that uh, male directors are treated like their female counterparts is when they direct a Star Wars property. That's yep. when they learn how disposable they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. God bless Kathleen Kennedy. Yes. That is, just get the fuck out of here. That is not <laughs> what I want. Yeah. Um, so in terms of my uh, my experience with Kusama, I'd actually – it surprised me because a lot of times you're like, oh, this director, I've, I know I've seen a bunch of their movies. And I was like, Kusama, I wonder if I've seen a lot of her movies. And then I looked – at the movies we picked, of course, picking wasn't really the right term for this because there's only five. So admittedly, five. <laughs> that went into my process as well. It is time to pump the brakes and uh, yeah, let's have a, a bit of a smaller filmography. Yes. And it's interesting because I had seen the middle. I had seen the three in the middle and I had never seen our first and our last movie. Uh, so it's interesting that like a lot of people like saw her first movie, which we'll talk about in a moment. And that was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see what she does next and i came in i came into the travesty i came in with the like the worst of the bunch supposedly so we'll see how this goes but our first movie uh of course is girl fight uh you know it's literally about somebody in an extremely low stakes situation in the grand scheme of things but that becomes very high stakes to her simply because it's all she has you know every every element of her life is right in front of us for us to see and so it isn't that you get the sense of an insurmountable conflict. Um, you know, it's not it's not quite operatic like Raging Bull. In fact, it's quite the opposite, which I think also appealed to me a great deal was it was just a girl at a time in her life um, where she's trying to discover who she is and what that means. And, you know, part of this is dealing with the kind of uh, uh, issues of, of, you know, gender of her not wanting to be like every other girl at her school um, and also the, the the fact for dealing with her boyfriend feeling a little emasculated by how you know mighty her prowess is as a fighter and you know every little thing I just felt was so beautifully realized not harped upon not um you know there isn't one thing that takes precedence over everything else because again it's supposed to be an accurate depiction of a of a of a woman leaving adolescence so this is a movie for me. That, I mean, I think I was, yeah, I was like, like a junior in college when this came out. So it was, it's interesting. It's funny to me that I've never seen this because I was very much into independent film at that period of time. And this film was everywhere. Like everyone in, I mean, everyone, but everyone in the, that, that niche was, was talking about Girl Fight. Girl Fight was a well, big deal. it won the uh, Grand Jury Prize at Sundance uh, right. in 2000. So yeah, it was. Back when, uh, back when they gave uh, awards to good movies at independent film festivals. So. That's nice. <laughs> I'm sure someone will like comment or tweet like, you know, well, actually, you know, there, there were some post uh, Tarantino 90s trash that uh, got a lot of hype that uh, shouldn't have. This is one that um, I think probably, you know, like or dislike it, uh, it probably represents the idea of yes. like a festival film attempting to break out or be positioned where it's like the mainstream could watch this and mm-hmm. I don't want to say accept it. But, you know, if you remove the Sundance label from it, uh, this could be a middle of the road sort of sports drama that yep. would appeal to a wider audience. So, yeah, this is the best possible version of, you know, the, the Sundance label trying to get this out to people who would enjoy this if it was yeah. put in front of them, I and, assume. And from a, you know, brand new filmmaker who, you know, mm-hmm. they're, 
you know, these film festivals a big deal. Like, this is a, you know, first feature. Really look out for this up-and-coming director. And, you know, in this case, I think it's really true. And, Mike, you'll love this. Uh, this is available on Stars, so everyone should I uh, had that right in front of Got the IMDb, you know, page up, and it says Watch on Stars. You know, that <laughs> is the is. sponsor of a podcast directed by. I love <laughs> Stars. Love it. So is this a movie you had seen before this? Uh, this it? is the only one, actually. Okay. So I, you know, I'm part of the problem where I watched Girl Fight <laughs> off Good that, movie, that Karen. Buzz. Never checking yeah. anything else. I'm pretty sure I probably had to catch up with it on video, but it would have been when it was, you know, new to video. So within the year of right. its its release, I saw it, and uh, yeah, I would have been a teenager at the time, and I remember enjoying it, uh, but not not enough to where I like, you know, was like I've got to follow this woman's career because naively as a teenager i'm like oh wow like she's gonna produce a lot of shit and, you know i can't wait to see like right. all the movies she makes afterwards <laughs> and you know, i wasn't an active participant now i guess to be fair to me eon flux comes what five years yeah, later long so time. yeah it's not like there was another one you know the next year to, so there's that's also part of the problem i guess with the narrative of her career is that having those sort of roadblocks where you do have the one, you know, misfires, I keep referring to it. Uh, it feels like, Oh yeah. Girl fight was, God, that was a long time ago. Like what, what has she been doing? Yeah. Um, but it was also something that I had never revisited. So for this podcast, it was relatively fresh as far as the you know specifics of the film. Now I, I did say that it is sort of middle of the road sports drama. So it's not something that, it's like hard to navigate. Like once you, once you've seen it, you kind of fall into like, I can kind of see the trappings of this genre, but what's cool about it is the different perspective. And not even just from the fact that in this case, it's a boxing drama where we have a female athlete, uh, you know, attempting to, to really just, I mean, the, the, the big match or the big game here is just the ability to, to participate. That's the, <laughs> that's the, really the, the sort of defining thing. This is not Rocky where it's like, you know, winning to like, you know, try to win, you know, Adrian or, you know, just winning to finally have, you know, respect after a career of kind of stumbling. This is like, are you even allowed through the door sort of thing? So I very much think people who like something like a league of their own would have liked this if they were exposed to it. And I don't know. I don't know if it really did much box office wise. And I'm, I guess I should, you know, pose a question to you. Yeah. You know, has this had like a long, you know, life? Is this something, or is this one that kind of has been forgotten because of the, the, the career that Karen Kusama's had, the problem she's had with studios? I mean, I think unfortunately the latter, I think there was a period, basically the period between girl fright, girl fight and Eon flux where this was a big deal. Um, a big deal in the independent film community. And also it ended up being this big deal in the boxing community too, where all of a sudden they started opening the doors to female fights um, after this movie came out. Like it did have like a weird societal impact. Um, so that was kind of, I think that's probably where I heard more about this movie than anywhere else where it was like, oh, this is happening because of Girl Fight, which is just kind of a cool thing as a person who watches thousands and thousands of movies and you talk to regular people and they're like, what's wrong with you? So it's it's nice when like movies actually transcend and like move into these different arenas. So that was cool to see. But as soon as Eon Flux failed uh, for there are reasons for it, um, this kind of went away and people stopped talking about it. And that's the thing about especially about these small independent films, unless they become like sleeper hits 
um, or win a bunch of like actual like Academy Awards or Critics Awards, then they get forgotten, even if they're really good. Because I think what was interesting for me to watch, it's always interesting to watch a first film from someone who have you've seen a bunch of their films later. Because you kind of expect like, oh, maybe this will be a little bit amateurish, maybe that, you know, or maybe you'll be like, oh, right out of the gate, this is someone who's talented. And for me, it's the second option. Like, I was really impressed that there are actual directorial choices here in this first film. It's not just like setting up the camera and watching your actors and getting good performances. Like there's, there's, and they're little, they're little things, like the way that she uses reflection in this, the way that she fills the frame and... She does this very simple trick, uh, which works so well to kind of bring you into the fight of these little flashes of white light every time a punch makes contact. And a lot of times, like boxing movies, uh, maybe not the greatest fight choreography, and they're just kind of expecting the star to kind of pull this along, you know, not including things like Creed. But if you even watch like the original Rocky, uh, like some of the fight choreography, you're like, oh, you're just standing around throwing haymakers. Like, that's what this is. But this, like, there's actually Well, they something... look cool, right? Yeah, exactly. A haymaker exactly. Is, is something that, even if you're... If you've never been in a fight, you can see, oh, <laughs> I get it. He's doing something there. Look yeah. at that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree with you. And, and this, like, it is funny, like, because I, I watched this one again, and I, I wouldn't say that I'd come across, like, you know, a particular fight scene that's going to get, like, you know, YouTube play, where it's no. going to be something like, you've got to see this sequence. Uh, it, it does have, it really takes from Michelle Rodriguez performance a lot, which that was, that was my thinking was did Kusama not get, uh, maybe the appropriate amount of respect for this film? Because it seems like, you know, this was more of a launching pad for Michelle Rodriguez, who was, uh, an play this role over and over and over again in a yeah, lot of ways, which also maybe contributes to people not like going back to this one as much where it's like, now it's like, <laughs> it's like strange typecasting for her first role. <laughs> like right. she was an unknown, but now if you're catching up with it, you're like, okay, she's made a career of playing like, you know, sort of the, the tough, tough girl. I mean like uh, Avatar, Fast and the Furious, uh, Lost, like all of these are like, they, they just become, it's interesting. Like watching this movie, you're like, Oh, this is where the Michelle Rodriguez type mm, came from. Yeah. It's Michelle Rodriguez, but like, this is it right here. But I do think, I mean, this, I like Michelle Rodriguez as an actress, but this might be her best, the best performance of her career because it's asking her to do a little more emotionally. Because once she gets typecast as the quote unquote tough chick, then like a lot of that stuff goes away or it's in a straight up action movie where there's not a lot of room for that. But here, like her relationship with this, with this, with this other lead actor, with this guy and her relationship with her father, like that stuff really works. And it kind of makes me sad on both the director and the star on their behalf. Like, the director has kind of got screwed by Hollywood. She's finally kind of coming back now, finally. But Michelle Rodriguez, too. Like, she's made a good living. But, like, she could do a lot more than what she's been given the opportunity to do. And I think you can see it here already. Well, I'm going to out myself as a bit of a dork, although you are uh, as well in this this regard. Uh, I don't, I don't think I've mean. ever revealed to you, uh, as far as with my particular Lost fandom, that uh, Ana Lucia was my favorite character on that wow. show. That so is I a, actually, yeah, that is a left field choice. I like it. That yeah. would be. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Jasmine would... guy myself, but I get it. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say your character is a little more likable, uh, and I know that, but <laughs> I think? feel like. 
I feel He's like not if introduced I was... to be a murder. So yeah, <laughs> look, if I was on that island, I think that I would probably be equally as agitated and maybe as clipped with people as Ana Lucia. I wouldn't be as oh, cool as her. It's very relatable. I, yeah, <laughs> I definitely related to her. So yeah, she was my favorite. Uh, so I only disagree with you slightly there, and I, I really liked her uh, on Lost. But yeah, she is. You know, she she can be uh, asked to do a lot more. And here, you know, she takes a lot of L's in this one. And I, I think that's part of it is we're not, we're not used to seeing someone who's so tough and, you know, dare I say abrasive yeah. who keeps like kind of losing. Uh, but really, you know, what she's losing at is just not being given an opportunity. And so, and another film, I think it would be, they would try to uh, take the rough edges off this character a little more to make her more sympathetic. And if you do continue with us throughout this month and watch Kusama's work, uh, she's not really a fan of taking off any rough edges on any oh. of her characters. She Ooh. does not try to really make them more <laughs> endearing or likable. Like We'll get there, but that has not changed yeah. even with her most recent movie. <laughs> That's something I really respect about her work is that she's basically very principled and as, as are her characters. And it's like, you have to like kind of go with them based on principle not that they're like a charming engaging person making that argument for you like there's there's a film i like that i thought of when i was watching this that came out like in the last couple of years uh with one of the, the i think one of the star wars uh actors uh the that's about um uh it's on the basis of sex that's the name of it mm-hmm. so you know it's it's a it's a biopic and it's about you know trying to hit that glass ceiling oh uh, yeah the the one who's in rogue one right it's that's late. it that's yeah a, I, I, I was like is there a star wars all, oh yeah <laughs> all of the uh i think they're british but all of the white british ladies they're in star wars i get them all confused well they're all white um, british young and brunette like yes like, yeah there's, there's definitely a st- there's a star wars type there for sure uh, i like that movie um and you definitely have a lead character there that can be kind of abrasive, but they definitely try to soften it with like, uh, here's here's the family life, right? Yeah. Here's where you're not being as combative. Hammer just selling it like it's hard yeah. as he can. Yeah. <laughs> Very different from the family life here, right? Like, uh, I mean, that, actually, you have to be more, <laughs> even more combative when she yep. goes home. There's like no mm-hmm. uh, safety net for this character, and the only uh, sort of possible outlet for that is with a fellow boxer with this like kind of strained romance that she has where uh, neither one are like sort of totally comfortable with uh, I guess the like gender politics, like the expectations Mm -hmm. in a romance as far as how you're supposed to act with the other, because how they meet, you know, this is a young lady that, you know, there's a certain sex appeal in how tough and aggressive she is from this young man. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, once they start to have this courtship, like the demands of like trying to play that down and like play up to like, or play down to like the societal expectation of like what your gender, ex- the expectations are. Uh, it's really, it's really weird. And it's like really kind of strange and awkward. So that may be the diceest territory for this being like a mainstream film is perhaps the most mainstream element, the romance. That's usually what you can hook people into. Like no matter what the problem is, it's like you can have a romantic partner that's there to say this person is caring you can forgive her for for being so like strong-willed and like you know taking on these this system here though there's like combat everywhere and it's like so i really enjoyed it i I feel like i didn't give enough credit when i was a teenager because i think i was just watching it as just like a sports movie and so here the family like the homestead stuff which usually i hate in movies i really loved it here yeah and you brought up the the romantic relationship here and you also talked about like you know kusama kind of loving these rough edges and this awkwardness that comes with, especially with youth, right? 
you know, this is, you know, probably, we assume the first person she's been with. And, like, that reads on screen. Like, even their first kiss is, like, this, like, surprise, and it's, like, awkward. And they're both enjoying the moment, but it is, it's not, like, a lot of times you see movies with romance in them, especially with young, pretty people. And everything is so smooth and so, like, perfect and just in the moment. And there's nothing like that here. Like, every single intimate moment between them, there's that anxiety that comes with being in a first, any kind of relationship. And I was like, wow, like, and it kind of stunned me to watch and to realize, like, you never see this. You never see this on screen, unless it's like, like, maybe a LGBTQ, like, okay. uh, rom- rom-com. Like, I was about to say, the that. closest I, you know, was thinking about was a film that came over a decade uh, later, which we did a podcast on, uh, Pariah was yeah. one that had that sort of but that also falls into that you know that particular dynamic so uh d reese who would be someone that i would like to please talk about on keep show. making movies d reese uh, please yeah <laughs> I, I don't know uh how many she has as far as feature length at this point well uh, she's gonna come out i think with another one this year on netflix uh with anne hathaway in it so it's at least three uh so you got pariah mudbound and this next one coming up and i think she might have one other one in there that i've missed but she's getting there yeah. Gets to five and gets yeah, on the show. So that, sure. that'll, that'll be a fun month because I really, I really was, I was late to the game on Pariah and like Girl Fight and I really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I really like about this, and I think it's something we'll see in, in the rest of this month is how, how Kusama loves to flip gender on its head. Uh, and this is, this is, I mean, I get on my soapbox again, but this is why it's so important to watch films by female filmmakers uh, because you are probably not going to see a movie like this from a male director you're just you're just not we're just not good at that because we haven't experienced the kind of gender dynamic that women have so the idea one of just having a you know a female protagonist fighter is already like a shock to the system for many viewers but then there's you know this whole plot line in the movie where she's gonna end up fighting her boyfriend essentially and you keep and at least for me as i'm watching you keep waiting for someone to stop it right like oh well this isn't gonna happen this will, they'll never actually fight. And the fact that it comes to fruition in this movie, I was like, holy shit. I was not expecting that. Like, I wouldn't expect that in 2020, let alone when this came out. I mean, what was this, 2000 when this came yes. out? Yes, 2000. 20, 20 years ago to have, like, an honest-to-God fist fight <laughs> between your two romantic leads and to have it work. And I like the fact that instead of—and it wasn't an easy answer, Right. There was discussion about it beforehand, and even after the fight, it's like, well, I hope you got what you want. It's not a, like, well, now everything's fine, and we'll move on with our very happy lives. Like, it's like, no, no, we just we just walloped each other in the ring for, for the last half hour. Like, we're not just going to go back to, like, everything's good. But there is this, like, there's this respect between them at the end, which I really, I really liked. That it was kind of a happy ending, but it wasn't simple. Uh, and I think I mean, that's I think- what's great about this director. She doesn't make simple movies. I think most people um, probably would not like the idea of all of a sudden they're like working with their romantic partner, like, you know, whatever their, their profession is like oh. eight hours a day, like they never have any sort no, of escape. Thank you. <laughs> so in this, this instance, it's not, it's not like an eight hour, like nine to five job, but it is like a lifestyle, right? It's a passion that they yeah. share. And so then you, you, you break even more boundaries by having, physically like the the passion is to assault the other one <laughs> like in a ring in a closed space uh yeah it makes for 
as I said before, very strained romantic dynamic uh, where you have put all the cards on the table to see who can physically sort of outmatch the other one. Uh, and it happens to be something that if, if you want to get into like the, the sort of uh, economic area of it, that this could be a way out for both these characters. It's like, you yeah. know, not, it's not only something they're passionate about, but this could be uh, a new life for them. And I, I think there's a line where basically like the, the handler, the manager for the, uh, the boyfriend character is like, you know, wh- what is it going to do to him? If he like basically like loses to a girl like that, that's like the end. Like you basically are saying that uh, this, this future is wiped out. Uh, and there's this like, legitimate anger that's like okay we, we've allowed this young woman to have her fun but now she's now now that fun's gonna do some harm to like you know they're, they're putting it on like this tier where it's like he has a real shot and this was just like some sort of like Experiment. freak show yeah. this is like some sort of circus you're putting on here mm-hmm. with her and now it has to has to end it, it's very different like and before this we were talking about you know possible <laughs> possible upcoming filmmakers and um, I, I was I was jokingly throwing out like, oh, we should do Mel Gibson or Clint Eastwood because we were talking about like the, the tweets we would get oh, <laughs> in response to featuring <laughs> them for a month. But I don't know about you, but I did think a lot about uh, the acclaim that Million Dollar Baby got uh, as opposed to, you know, th- this film got acclaim on a smaller scale. Um, and I don't have any like particular issues with that film. I was never like the biggest fan of it. Uh, even on its initial release, it's the perfect example of like that was fine, okay, that's a well made. But the, movie. the more like you know, <laughs> if you're getting into like problematic territory where it's like you know you are you're you're showing a a woman who becomes a success, successful boxer like that particular story like well eventually we have to not only bring her down we have to like completely maim her physically right. like that right. it has to become this tragic thing as opposed to having in girl fight her excel but then dealing with maybe some legitimate like interpersonal problems she's going to have in her, her life because of her success. Like we kind of remove that in million dollar baby. Cause it's like, Oh, she's, she becomes injured. And then that's the end of that. Like there is no like sort of fallout as far as her, from her success. And that's something that I think obviously women have to deal with in many walks of life as far as how their success uh, impacts the like psyche of like the men around them. And that's something that is not in million dollar baby, but is in girl fight. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot better. <laughs> it's yep. just a lot better boxing movie. Yeah, I also find it interesting. Like I was just thinking about you know the fight between her and her boyfriend, and then how that's how that's compared with what's going on in her home, right? Like it would be very easy to make a movie about two boxers who are in a relationship who end up having to fight each other and make it abusive, but they don't. There's never a moment in that fight. Like there are moments you wince because the. The hits do feel real, but on both sides. Like, you don't feel like, oh, it's just this large man beating the shit out of a woman. This is awful to watch. Like, I don't want to see this. But then when you have the moments at home between her and her father becoming physical, and of course she wins that altercation, but it is still like, oh, I don't like watching this. This is not this is not great. Like, the way he's treating her, the way he's threatening her, I hate this. But I also do like the interaction between her and her brother. How, you know, again, throwing gender on its head where he's like, I don't want to fight. That sucks, man. I'm an artist, man. I don't. I don't want to learn to throw a punch. That is... Here, take my <laughs> boxing allowance money, please. Right, just have don't it. tell anybody. Have a good time, you know. <laughs> so I like. I like how those things get compared, and you really do see that training and being in the ring and being mentored like that is her escape from everything else. Because really, nothing else except for maybe her relationship with her brother. Nothing else is really good 
School is terrible. Like, she's getting in fights there and, like, not enjoying herself. Home is really bad. Like, it's like she just shows up there to eat and then, like, not talk to anybody because, like, things are so so bad. So, and again, like, you just don't see this very often, that type of portrayal of a female athlete in any sport. Like, you just don't get that in movies very often. Like, you mentioned League of Their Own, which is a great movie, a movie I love. But it is very lighthearted, right? It's, it's like... It, it like there's drama in it, but it definitely falls more towards the comedy. Whereas this I mean, is like Madonna some pretty serious and Rosie stuff. O'Donnell. Uh, right. Pretty much anytime they're on screen, it's like okay, this is getting a little heavy. Bring them in. Right. Let them do their their you know routine. So yeah, exactly. And this is kind of the opposite. Like there's little bits of levity, but really this is a dramatic story, and it's something to take seriously. And you just don't see that with female athletes on screen very much. And I was just like, it was such a refreshing, and it it was both like refreshing to watch and kind of sad that like we still don't get that. 20 years later, like, she's like, oh, yeah, we still don't really talk about this. Like, in even if you and I both follow sports, like, I dare you to uh, go on Twitter and just look up anything about the WNBA and just watch the misogyny just mm. destroy and rot your brain. And it's just like, we're still at that point where it's like, oh, well, it's girls, whatever. It's, oh, she's a boxer, but she's a, she's a female boxer. So that doesn't really count. So I love that this movie has her win. You know, like, has her actually end up beating this more muscular, larger guy, and you have the personal aspect to it, too. And I think this, I mean, I was just so impressed by this movie. Like, I was really expecting, like, oh, it's a first film. It'll be good, but, like, not great. And I was just like, oh, no wonder everyone was so excited about this movie. Like, to me, this doesn't really feel like a first film. Like, I, it's akin to, like, watching, I mean, it's akin to when we watch Mean Streets with Scorsese, where you see it right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of directors, like, it doesn't mean if your first film isn't great, it doesn't mean you're not going to be great one day. But some people just like, man, they just come out of the box swinging. And it's like, oh, oh, wow, this is your first film? Like, it almost, like, as someone who likes movies and at one point in my life wanted to be a film director, it's like, fuck you. How dare you? How dare you be this good already? Like, I don't think she'd even made a short film. Like, it's just like this was the first thing she ever made, and it's and it still holds up 20 years later. A lot of that probably speaks to uh, – I know that uh, if you just go and read about it, that uh, John Sayles, um, who's like you know an independent filmmaking god, mm-hmm. uh, basically fronted uh, a lot of the budget when there was a fall-through in the financing. Uh, like, I, I do look at some of these – these artists, these filmmakers, like when they do come out of the box that strong, uh, a lot like a band that's like, mm-hmm. you know, they've practiced and practiced and they've like toured right. like, and they've got all their shit together. And by the time that someone actually financially backs them, they're, they're giving great stuff. Yeah. Right. They're, they're ready to go. Um, and that's, but that also, you know, the way we started this episode, I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a dark side to this whole month where it's like, okay, you kind of come out with like this, almost fully formed filmmaker and even with it being received that well in Sundance you have the backing of this great independent filmmaker uh you have this great star making performance who would go on to give us the greatest character on Lost or so I've read um read. all of that I don't know about that <laughs> no one's ever written that down it's been said now <laughs> Well, you know, you need to pay for like a trans transcription service or something. There, they can they can Jesus, put that on the pay for the hosting. Can you the auteurs <laughs> for asshole? Like you know, the the document, the living document we have. <laughs> All of that being said, uh, as Dave tries to get in his jabs on me, like you know, I'm trying to provide a little bit of levity, and he's uh, he's just bringing it down. That's right. All of that, 
and it's still a struggle. Like it's still yeah. a struggle. Like, so I, I'm, I'm, there's obviously a lot of personal stuff in here, uh, from Kursama that's going to carry on throughout her career like this, that be able to break that sort of glass ceiling. Um, and, uh, I don't know, like I, I, my hope for people, like if they're stumbling upon girl fight is they've actually not listened to this episode mm. <laughs> because I feel like the discussion around it now might make it a little too depressing. Mm. Like the, the more enthusiastic they are about the film, I think the worse they'll feel right. <laughs> about right. filmmaking in general. <laughs> yeah. And I was also thinking some of it, I, I wonder how much of like how polished this is has to do with the life experience she's had and how old she was when she made this. I mean, this is not a 20 year old making this movie. She was 32 when she made her, when her first film came out. Um, so, the, you know, maybe that like sense of calm and that sense of experience, like really transfers here. And maybe that helped. I mean, I do, I do wish I knew more about like the making of the film and what, you know, how Michelle Rodriguez was when she first came in. Cause she does feel in a good way, very raw here. Like she doesn't I think I read that the audition was horrible. But the, like Kusama said that there was nothing that she saw that was like good about her acting ability, but no one can match like the look and sort right. of just like the, I guess the vibe she gave off as a character, the physicality. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we can work with that, which, uh, you know, you and I talked about in the, the Spike Lee series with Ray Allen for he got game, like what you're maybe losing from a professional actor. You're gaining far more by the physicality of the role and the, like the natural ability to hold the screen as this like star athlete uh, was something that it is impressive. And I, I do want to say like, from what I know, I don't think Michelle Rodriguez like had any sort of boxing training. So when she's talking about the physicality, she's just That's talking amazing. about like standing there just yeah. like, you know, just has the look of someone. Like I believe that person in that role. Yeah. And you know, this is something we brought up on the show before, but I think something that in general doesn't get talked about enough in terms of like what makes a great director. And some of it is molding great performances out of kind of raw material. And that's what we have here, apparently, with Michelle Rodriguez. This comes in with like very little to no acting experience, gives a terrible audition, but Kusama sees something in her, whether it's just like the way she looks or the way she carries herself and goes like, I can work with that. And there's a lot of directors, especially male directors later in their careers, they become more successful. They're like, nah, I'm not going to bother with that. I'm just going to find the perfect person. You know, I'm going to find the perfect person for this role. And she's like, no, let me, let me get the right feeling from someone and I'm going to get something great out of this. And I think, I think we'll actually see that in a, in a lot of her movies where she either has brand new actors or actors that people don't take too seriously and cast them in, in roles that maybe are unexpected. And then get some great, great performances here. And I think this is the first example. And it's just, it does make me wonder, like, did she not come out with another movie till 2005? Because the next movie was just such a large production. Or like, you know, it's a, it's a weird jump. And we'll talk about the next episode. But like, if you were, if you're watching this in 2000, you're like, oh, this is a great movie. I wonder what she'll do next. Oh, I'm sure she'll just take a uh, liquid television uh, cartoon <laughs> with, and put Charlize Theron in it. Definitely. Like, it's like, and I think, again, we'll see that throughout her career, is that it's it's a little bit harder with her to be like, well, this is a Kusama movie. This is the one, right? This is the one she'll do. And I wonder how much of that is because she likes to do different things and how much of that is because as a female film filmmaker, it's just fucking hard to get movies made. So you take whatever you can get funding for. You know? Yeah, I I think I have a vague memory of like something called like crazy crazy daisy or something, where it's like just an angry flower on liquid television. And you, I mean, oh, if yes. you remember that yep, show? Yep, yep. 
It was just a it bunch just, of random it, shit. <laughs> yeah, it was just randomly just like drop in. It was like a very condensed version of Adult Swim. Like mm-hmm. Adult Swim in a one half hour segment, all of their shows. Um yeah, uh when we we'll get into it on the next episode, but Eon Flux, even when the marketing started and the commercials, I was like well, that's an interesting pick for a movie. Never thought that was going to get a feature film adaptation. All right, sure. Uh, I'm in. And you know what? Keeping with the theme of the show this month, I'm part of the problem because I saw the commercials. It's like, hmm, that might be interesting to check out. And I did not until this podcast. <laughs> did not watch it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, obviously, as we mentioned a bunch of times, next episode, we will be taking a look at Eon Flux uh, starring Charlie Theron. Um, so, uh, I would advise you to catch up on that, uh, and watch that for, for when we talk about it. Cause I think there's, there's some worthy stuff there, despite the fact that it has been, you know, regarded wholly as a failure. There's a reason we're covering Karen Kusama. So check that out. Um, and if you want to follow us on Twitter, of course, our Twitter handle is at directed by pod. And if you want to hear the entire interview with Scott Tapoya, it's already available now on our Patreon site. Um, so it's just patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. Just like mannequins